Bears! Safety EDU back again. I just wanted to um, start this new drive time show, and when I'm driving back and forth between either Coast Guard or CIA at Greystone, I have some time, so I have some thoughts. So I want to do a drive time show now, and this podcast is uh, going to mirror the video. So I'm doing it a video on on my little uh, iPhone five as I go from here to there, and I want to share the information with you. So in this podcast, I'm going to add this bit in the beginning so you understand where I'm coming from and what's going on. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoy the show. All my best. I had a good day today. This is CIA, Culinary Institute of America at Greystone, St. Helena, California. Uh, I was the food safety instructor from 2000 through 2012, three and a half years. And uh, recently, this is 2020, so in 2019, at the end of the year, uh, Rich, one of the chef instructors I work with at the Coast Guard Station in their culinary school over there, he said that he received an email saying that he they needed a food safety person and uh, that he would fit the bill. And so he mentioned it to me, and then I went on the online to the website to find out that they were hiring the food safety again. Uh, so I, I emailed my old boss over there um, and uh, he said, yeah, go ahead and apply. And so they brought me right back in, which is really cool. So I'm back now. Uh, I have two classes back to back. So on Tuesday and Wednesday, I have one class and on Thursday and Friday, I have another class. And it goes for uh, seven weeks. So it's this week, Monday, Tuesday, we gave the class at the Coast Guard. So it's the same class, only 16 hours, so two full days from 8 until 4 uh, at the Coast Guard station, so 16 hours. And we give the same information there. And the nice thing is, is what I do there at the Coast Guard station is uh, uh, I'm leading it and all of the Coast Guard instructors are becoming certified to be instructor proctors. So. They take the class first, they sit in as a student along with all the other students. And when, then I give them the instructor test at the end. They pass the instructor's test where all the other students are taking the manager certification test. And then from there, then each instructor goes through and has to get up on the podium and give sessions. And once we give three or four sessions uh, and they're you know competent, which they are, they're, they're all friggin' great people um, and very capable, very competent. Oh my gosh, they have some really, <laughs> they are really uh, extraordinary people and I'm really proud to be there with them. Um, and so they pick it up very quickly, but they have to be on podium three times and then, uh, then they become qualified to be surf safe instructor for Coast Guard Training Center Petaluma uh, for the CSA and C School. Um, and that's where I am. And then Rich told me that CIA was rehiring. So I put my bid in for it and, and they brought me back. And so now I'm doing these two classes. So long story short or back again, uh, two days with the Coast Guard and seven weeks for CIA. Um, 
So it's an hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes each uh, day. Um, and they have the course book, so it's 15 chapters, whereas we have the essentials book, which is 10 chapters uh, on the other side. Same information, just packaged a little bit differently. Um, and the nice thing is what I did in the old days when I was there before and what I'm doing again this time is that we actually get to go into the various kitchens. We actually go and get hands on a little bit uh, to do things. And, you know, the inspection sheet. So we have the actual inspection sheet from uh, Napa County and then they can look at that, but that's hard to look at. So then I have the HACCP in self-inspection sheet from uh, uh, Fightback website. And that one's a little more clear and it's the one that I encourage them to use every single day. And so the thing is, as I've asked them, take this inspection sheet, go through the school and not now, but anything you see and all the things we talk about and, and uh, habits and issues and sanitation and all these things, put it down. We can turn it, they can turn it into me, I can review it. And then if there's glaring issues, I can turn it up to the boss which is what we did before, uh, I think once, and I meant to do it every class, but uh, uh, you know, there are some issues. And so I plan on having that done. So what is that? That's an internal inspection with fresh eyes, which is a killer, you know, it's a really good thing. Um, fresh eyes, you know, especially when you aren't there, you know, so fresh eyes, uh, being able to spot things and look at things and, and uh, you know, consider it because over time, you you lose your fresh eyes and you're there for a couple of months and you don't see anything anymore and then you just kind of fall into the groove and people say well I've always done it this way and this is the way we do it horse pucky certain things aren't uh, you know meant to be done that way we need to adjust we need to stop adjust our view of the situation whatever that situation is and then correct it so uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, in the book, we talk about management oversight, which is awesome, but then it needs to be brought up by employee, by people who know. So anybody who know, once they're trained, then they know, and hopefully they get reinforced every single day. So here they say initial and ongoing training. It should be initial and every single day ongoing training, not just, oh, okay, six months from now, we're going to do another training. For instance, in Coast Guard, they do the uh, every year they have to have either four or six hours of, of uh, safety and sanitation training. And with that, they have to go through that. But then they, do, you know, it's just check the box and not really. But I try real hard on my shift. So I'm the PM shift over at Coast Guard. And we have, uh, you know, half of the students with us and we do dinner shift and then we do cleanups and all that stuff. And it's every single day that you know, all this safety and sanitation stuff, because it's my focus. Yeah. The cooking too. I like the cooking and I'm good at it, by the way. Uh, I'm not fancy. I don't do the fancy stuff, but I'm good. Um, and you know, it only comes with time. Everything comes with time, the being able to cook, the being able to pay attention and actually view and see what's going on in the overall bubble. Some, you know, when you're new and fresh, all you see is what's in front of you. When you're a little older, and you have more experience, you get to see the overall view. So I try to have that overall view and I try to instill it in the young people now so that they're ready for it when they get to where they're going. 
and they become the overall view person so they can pick and help everybody else and train and coach. So I'm training and coaching them and I need them when they get to where they're going to train and coach other people. Um, so seven weeks over at CIA, that's coming too. And because it's two classes back to back, you know, I've, <laughs> and then I have the other class over at Coast Guard. And then I gave a class over at one of the Yachtville, uh, you know, uh, restaurants. Um, it, it, it all flows together. So what did I say yesterday? You know, when you talk to that uh, grandfather and they say, well, how did I tell the story last time? Okay. So, but it's fun. And the overall intent and the overall presentation of my class is pretty good. And we get out of the chair. It's not death by PowerPoint. Now I use the PowerPoint a little bit um, just to get going. Uh, and then we open the book and then we get out of our seats and we go and we use flashlights. We look around the kitchen. We, we try and find the things. We take notes. We use the inspection sheet because you have to know what the inspection sheet says so you know when the inspectors walk in the door what they're after. And if you know, it's the interventions and the risk factors. And if you know... Uh, what they're after and what you should be keeping up on. It's not because you're trying to beat them at their game. It's that you guys, you, the owner operator, all the employees, the inspector and the regulators, you're all trying to do the same thing. You're all trying to keep people safe, serve good quality and safe food and, and do the right thing. So if it's top of mind for you every single day, you have your check sheet, you have your lists, you have your lead line cook go around and double check on all your regular line cooks to make sure that stuff is going right you know proper temperatures are made proper hot holding proper cold holding inspect your equipment have your friggin master cleaning plan a master maintenance schedule if you don't have a master cleaning and master maintenance schedule then things get lost in the mix who's going to clean it when they're going to clean it how they're going to clean it how often um so stay ahead of it I always say stay ahead of it. If you get behind the eight ball, you're screwed and you can get a lot of trouble. Um, if we're behind the eight ball in service for dinner, we're going to have 350 people come in tonight. And if we don't fire off those steaks just at the right time or a little bit before that time, then we're okay if we do it. But if we wait on the backside, then we won't be able to uh, uh, keep up with service. And so we have to stay ahead of the eight ball. And I say, don't get back to do a corner. Um, stay ahead of it. And that means in your business also, you want to make sure that you're doing the proper cleaning and sanitizing, right? Uh, management oversight. You, you need to be paying attention. Um, you know, HACCP, for a lot of years, we were all after HACCP, 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 and now it's changed to active managerial control, which is awesome. So active managerial control takes the HACCP information and uses it without records um, for the most part. But you have to keep records also because you need to have your ability to, to know what you're doing and to have records is a great thing. So uh, monitoring everything, make sure you have, uh, you know, data loggers in the fridges. Over at CIA, we have there's sensors on the refrigerators and it goes right to the security. And if the temperatures go into the temperature danger zone, security is pinged immediately and they can fix the issue. At Coast Guard, we do the clipboard style. So twice a day we go through and we check temperatures and then the instructors go through through the course of the day and we just pay attention. We're actively managing, 
you know, we're, we're paying attention. So we look at the temperatures and if we realize things are, are going into the temperature danger zone or something's wrong, then we can uh, address it and move the food into a safer reefer, uh, you know, to protect that food and make sure things don't go south. So, well, that's, um, <laughs> I'm on my soapbox. So I'm going to get off the soapbox here for a few minutes and, um, I might have some other information that I think of, and then I'll attach it to this video. Thanks very much, Mr. F, Food Safety EDU. Uh, take care. Okay, so I'm going to add this to my, uh, the other one. This is recording. Okay, four. Um, so when I take you guys into the kitchens to go and take a look around, one of the techniques I do, or one of the things I do, go grab that piece of parchment paper. Bring it down, get it on the counter. So tell me, draw out my thermometer. I want all the temperatures that we've talked about so far. All the temperatures, start at the high, go all the way down to the low. Okay, so what's boiling? 212. How do you kill a spore? So what do we do? So in the canning safety book, right, for canning and jarring, um, we don't cook to high enough temperatures to kill the spores and to destroy them. Supposedly, if you use pressure cooker at 240 or above, which boiling, the, even if you rage your fire underneath a pot of water or stock, the water will only go to 212. That's it. And then certain other elevations, it'll be different. Uh, you know, mile high, it might be, I don't even know. I think it goes down like 205 or something like that. But anyway, so 212 is boiling. Simmering is a range between 185 and 205-ish. Uh, so tiny bubbles, right? Tiny bubbles for simmer, big bubbles for boil, um, pressure cook. Uh, there's a whole thing. So the spore-forming bacteria are protected by that nodule, by that shell, and we don't go to a high enough temperature. And then if we allow that food, whatever it is, foods from the ground, the dirt, and the dust, right? We talk about that, the ground, the dirt, and the dust getting into meats and poultry, but normally vegetables. So the baked potato has been known to um, cause botulism in the one woman. I have a, an FDA audio where this poor woman went, you know, out and she had a baked potato at, after the bars closed or whatever it was, it was late night. So baked potatoes usually, like when I was at the restaurant back in the eighties, we would cook the baked potatoes three o'clock, right? 400 degrees, one hour, they come out of the oven at 210 degree internal temperature. So that's a baked potato. Then, and we have a certain number of them. Then they go in a warming drawer on purpose and the warming drawer stays, what? Above 135 degrees, okay? So it prevents the spore if it's there. Even though we wash the, the potatoes, we don't know, right? So you wash them and then you throw them in the oven, you cook them. 400 degrees, one hour, they come out, they're ready, fork tender, however you want to check it. Uh, and then you put it in the warming cabinet and you keep it above 135. You have to prevent that spore from dropping down into the temperature danger zone and then opening kind of like that uh, movie Aliens and then it jumps on your face. No, not really, but it opens and then it grows through the bacterial growth curve. And if it's allowed to sit for an extended amount of time in the bacterial, uh, in the time and temperature, <laughs> temperature danger zone, temperature abused. Uh, so then the spore can open, grow, and come to a level where sometimes they become toxic. 
for instance, it was the woman who had, she got botulism. She was completely paralyzed. They were able to save her. But as you listen to her talk, so the FDA interviewed her because she was kind enough to allow that. And they, they uh, passed out this audio tape of her description of her whole ordeal. And it's, it's later, years later, or, or an amount of time later, and she still, you know, has issues. So it's a toxin, right? The bacteria grows through that bacterial growth curve, and some of them become toxic on the backside, and this one paralyzed her for an amount of time, and they were able to bring her back out of it. But, and then recently, this is 2020, recently, within the last year, there was like botulism outbreak on potato salad, and then there was another botulism outbreak in another potato product. I don't remember offhand, but it still happens. We say, oh, that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, okay, it does. You know, you never, you do the best you can, but home jarring, ham, home canning, anytime you suck out that oxygen or you have a thick food that takes away the oxygen, these spore bacteria can be there. So there, you know, there's botulism, bacillus cereus in, vegetables and things and, and rice um, and Clostridium perfringens. So those are the three that we mention and we talk about as spore forming bacteria. Uh, and what do they do to the rice for say sushi rice? Sushi rice, we have, uh, uh, you add something for flavor, but you also add that same thing to prevent the spore from opening and growing. It prevents it. So what do they do? So down San Diego County, uh, they have to have, if you serve sushi rice, you have to have a HACCP plan. Why? Because you're changing the pH. So in Fat Tom, food, acid, time, temperature, oxygen, moisture, anytime you adjust and change the acid, oxygen, or moisture in a product for preservation um, or for storage or whatever, uh, you have to keep records. You have to have a HACCP plan. You have to know what the heck you're doing in order to make it uh, approved and and um, well approved so you get the variance from the health department and they require that you can demonstrate knowledge on whatever technique you're doing so sous vide for instance we're gonna suck out the oxygen of the product inside the bag and if the bag there's a whole decision tree you know on on is this a requirement for HACCP in these processes. So the process, you know, you have to analyze the hazards, you have to go through the process, and then there's a decision tree that they came up with. Um, and, and you follow that and it helps you. Uh, but anytime you, you mess around with acid, oxygen, and moisture, then you have to do it. So in California here, we have to actually for, if we're doing the oxygen, we're doing sous vide, you have to put together a HACCP plan, send it to California State uh, Health Department, Public Health, and they have to review it and approve it before you can do it. And if you don't do it, then they can come and red tag your equipment and, and you can get in trouble for that. So a lot of people are, you know, throwing bed sheets over their stuff and, and doing stuff. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I talked to, uh, anyway, um, that was 10 years ago. I don't know what's going on because I, I haven't been in the loop for a little while. But, uh, I want to say there was one restaurant over in Yonville. They were trying to do salamis and, you know, uh, uh, charcuterie. And they, they had a whole room built. But 
they didn't get approval from the health department, then they got hammered with, you know, because acid, oxygen, moisture, if you're adjusting those for preservation, and if you don't have a plan and you don't give it to them and they don't think you know what you're doing, then they'll red tag you on that equipment. Um, so be careful with what you do. It's in the Cal code on my website. I have a whole resource page. Um, the Cal code is there. The food code is there. So the food code is every four years and it's updated every two years. Uh, and make sure, see throughout the nation, I already did this on a different podcast, but throughout the nation, every state has picked up the food code, but they're doing different ones. Some are 1999, some are 2001, some are 2005. A couple of them are doing the 2017 food code. So it depends on where you go. Now the big corporations, uh, food businesses that are across multiple uh, state lines or multi um, states, um, maybe they go with just the updated food code because that way it's easy. They can just follow the updated food code and then it catches everything below it. All the older food codes, if that state happens to have the older food code, the company is still up to date because it's using the newest food code, which is not law because it's federal. And then the states pick it up, turn it into law. So whatever you do, whenever you open your business, double check with your health department to find out what they require of you to make sure that you can actually stay in business and do the right thing. Okay. Um, so there's that. Uh, let's see. Okay, I'm going to pause. Oh yeah, I got on, I went off on a tangent. Okay, so I was after the, take the students in, piece of parchment paper. So I want them to write out a label, right? So it's a box with an X in the middle or, or a plus in the middle of it. So you have four quadrants, right? So four quadrants. In the top uh, left, I wanna know the name of the food. In the bottom left, I wanna know who is responsible for this. So for instance, and this is, I'm after time as a public health control on the health inspection sheet, if allowed, because every place is different. So you have to be in that jurisdiction. You have to be allowed to do this. In other words, you're using time as a public health control rather than temperature. So you don't need ice. You don't need sternos to keep your temperature at the appropriate level. You're using time as a public health control. So in order to do that, you need to be able to understand and verbalize to the inspector when they walk in the door that you know what the heck you're doing. So in the temperature danger zone and bacterial growth through the bacterial growth curve, our answer to most everything is four hours. We have four hours that we can leave food out. And at the end of four hours, we have to get rid of it. We either have to have sold it or eat it or throw it away, okay? So really it needs to be eaten or thrown away uh, within those four hours. And so we draw this piece of, on, on the parchment paper, which is representative of, of um, a two inch piece of tape. So in the four quadrants, you have the name of the food, lasagna, the name of who you are, Mr. F, the time you took it out of the oven, 12 o'clock, and the time it has to be either eaten or thrown away, which would be four o'clock in the afternoon or 1600. 
So you take this piece of tape and you slap it on the bottom side of the hotel pen. <coughs> Excuse me. And when the inspector walks up and they say, hey, where's your sterno? Hey, where's your ice? What are you doing? And you can describe it. And then you have a sneeze guard over the top or you have it protected and you're cutting it to order and you're serving. So say it's a picnic or a catered event out in a, um, you know, a bean field or, or, or um, pumpkin patch and they're doing a little lunch special over in the side. If you're using time as a public health control, that food can sit out for up to four hours. But then after four hours, if it's not sold, it needs to go in the trash. Thankfully, whenever we pull food out, normally it goes very quick. All right. Number two is cold food. So if I have a potato salad or a macaroni salad or something like that, it can be using time as a public health control out for seven, uh, I'm sorry, six hours, so long as it stays below 70 degrees. So I take it out of the refrigerator at noon and it can sit on the table next to lasagna with no ice for up to six hours, so long as it stays below, what, 70 degrees. Remember in the temperature danger zone, we have 135 to 41, that's the temperature danger zone in total. And then I call the double danger zone from 125 to 70, that's where the bacteria grow really quick. And that's where they're very happy and they're gonna thrive. So below 70, it kind of inhibits the rapid and progressive growth, the rapid growth, but they're still growing. And so that's why we have refrigeration to even keep it colder. And so the lower we keep it, the better it is. But in this technique, time is a public health control. If we can hold it below 70, then it's okay to be out for six hours, but we're monitoring it. We always use that probe thermometer to poke it and make sure you can actually leave a thermometer in it the whole time so you can see the change in temperature while you're serving it, you know, if necessary. But you still have to have that piece of tape with the four quadrants, the name of the food, macaroni salad. Who to talk to about it? Mr. F. The, um, the time it was removed from refrigeration, 12 o'clock. And the time it must be sold, consumed, or discarded, which would be 1800 or six o'clock. And if the food ever goes above 70 degrees, then it automatically reverts back to the four hour time frame. So obviously I started having some uh, choppy issues at the end of my drive time on this episode, but I plan on doing some more as we go forward. Uh, please tune in next time and I really appreciate you listening. Thanks very much. All my best. Mr. F, Food Safety, EDU.